Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to a place of magic, conspiracy, mystery, looking for the for answers to the oddities and strangeness of this world. These are the amalgam, amalgam files. I'm Chris White. I do those not so super dudes, and I'm here with Ian and my Sarah wife White. Sarah uh, to do some amalgam files. Yes, we are here once again. Um, this is our first show of the year. Everybody knows what we're here to do, right? right. Um, everybody knows what we're here to do. The Amalga Files is a um, show, a podcast where we kind of like to not only go over certain topics that are interesting to us, but that we feel like might be interesting to our listeners. We like to uh, try to prove, disprove uh, whatever information we can by researching each topic lovingly. And through many hours, <laughs> uh, we, we like doing these things. We like um, learning new things, being able to share our ideas with other people. Um, this isn't a podcast where uh, we kind of tell you guys how it is. We kind of leave things open to, you know, expand on what the topic is to be able to come up with answers we can all agree on and understand. So these are the Amalga Files. Our topic this show, the murder castle and famous booty twaps. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, booty twaps. That's what we are looking at. Some of the engineering, ingenuity, um, history behind some of the world's most diabolical and dangerous, and even in some cases, lethal booby traps. Um, okay, so what, well, first of all, let me introduce our brand spanking new co-hosts on loan from those not-so-super dudes Christopher and Sarah White, please introduce yourselves. Tell our crowd a little bit about who you are and what you're doing here. Um, I'm Chris, and I come over here because I like the strange and unusual. I was a paranormal investigator for about five or six years, I want to say, and just all my life I've been interested in the creepy, the strange, and the out there paranormal stuff. I'm Sarah. I um, do advertisement for Not So Super Dudes. I find out um, different products, prototypes for them right now, currently. Nice. I, I like the, um, the strange and unusual and try to find the, the truth behind it all. I, okay. All right. So we have some avid and experienced. By the way, you guys have a little bit of experience in the not only paranormal, but the weird, the strange. You guys have been doing this for a while, not only as a couple, but as professionals as well, which I got to say hats off to you for that. Um, it's good to have you guys on the team. I feel like we've, um, I mean, we, of course, we all have our own strengths and everything, but I feel like this is a brand new perspective that we are adding to the overall Amalga Files um, host lineup. So I'm, I'm interested to see what that brings this year. I know we have a couple of great locations we've been scoping out and a couple of great ideas we've been thinking about bringing to our listeners. So I think everybody's going to have a really good year and I, I can't wait to see what it brings. So thank you both so much for joining me. Thank, thank you. you for having us. <laughs> All right. So the meat and bones of this uh, topic, the murder castle, this is a topic that was kind of brought about um, pretty much by obviously looking into, you know, the serial killers and different things, mysteries um, involving disappearances, things of that nature. This kind of was an offspring of that general topic. And it was just kind of, in general, very interesting, in my opinion, just the uh, kind of first string of serial murders, um, 
um, some of the reasons why these crimes were committed by whom and at what time, uh, most importantly. And um, we've done a little bit of research, gone over a few things, learned a few things, brought some stuff to you guys to see what we can uh, find out about these uh, different, you know, I mean, goings on, really, because it wasn't just like one one thing kind of happening in one area. It kind of spanned it across, uh, you know, the virgin U.S. And, and I, I thought that was interesting as well. So um, to get into it, we always know that I like to start things off with conundrums and questions. Got to start it off with questions before you get to answers, I believe, or else mm -hmm. if the answers came first, we'd be on Jeopardy, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, okay, my first question to our brand new co-hosts, I'm going to lob this one to you. What are some of the different reasons a person may or may not utilize a trap that is booby related? Well, I don't think it would be like today nowadays we have like security systems and stuff like here in the u.s we wouldn't really need that unless you are trying to fight the predator or um you're you draw first blood that sort of thing but um what uh in other countries uh i would think like um you know like um, afghanistan and stuff they use traps like trip mines ieds and stuff like that even in uh i looked up uh, the Viet Cong. they did traps you know the snake pit there was yeah. the snake pit that they did they got punjabi sticks they weren't just you know they set them up like they normally do you know spikes and stuff basically but they urinated on them feces and other poisons and stuff onto there as well yeah to make the wound sick yeah to make the wound sick okay and they also had like this big they call it uh the mace it was like this big like rock or like thing that they made with spikes all on it and like hung it from a tree and when it came down it like impaled people and stuff yeah yeah i, th I think we've seen might have seen those in a few movies as well of different yeah. versions of those yeah so okay. yeah it's basically if you're not if you're out in the woods protecting yourself that's pretty much the only reason why you're going to do boo traps. <laughs> okay what about you, Sarah? What do you think? What would be a reason why a person would use a trap that is booby-related? Uh, basically, it would be today's present age would be to catch prey. Um, some people on the district side have seen where they use almost like a bear trap, but for human, it's the size of an average human foot, and it will trap the human. And then you got your snares and all to, to catch your prey, which is your typical stuff. Um, Chris had already taken the uh, snake pit. Um, one thing that might be commonly used today would be the um, the, the disguised um, bombs. Okay. Back in the day, Germany had put a hat on top of a bomb and you go and pick up that hat it goes off okay so what i'm hearing from 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 our two new hosts is mostly if it's not done in a military i'm sorry military kind of background or or in some type of defense of borders or or of personal property 
um, the the main reason behind these traps would be to maim, hurt, and kill human beings. I guess would be the best roundabout summarization of everything that I've heard so far. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would have to agree. I would have to agree that there are very few reasons <laughs> to preemptively augment um, scenery, home, uh, car, whatever, uh, a letter. You would have to, there was some type of premeditation and some type of intent in doing and in, in creating and, in, 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 you know, generating these, these things. Um, and that that sense kind of comes along with every single version of these that I've seen. I mean, there are some very simple ones that can be manufactured literally in nature with very little tools. Mm -hmm. And there are some so intricate that like it would take years to master the skills necessary to even create or, or you know, generate these things. So it ranges. It ranges from, I guess, and, and the biggest factor of that range would be intent, in my in my opinion. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Like you said, it would be uh, to protect personal property where something maybe might put some kind of, you know, steel cage and a rope and it just drops down on the bad guy, holds until the police gets there or a knockout gas or something or, you know, whatever else you might James Bond together to kind of protect your personal property. But then there's these ones that are like completely meant to destroy or seriously injure human beings. And again, the, the intent is always my question behind them. Um, and you can usually see <laughs> by the design uh, what the intent is. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not really hard. Like Chris said, when you're urinating and, and smearing poison and feces on these sticks, you're not doing it, you know, with the hopes that, <laughs> no one's going to walk away seriously injured. Like that's pretty much your goal, yeah, <laughs> your, your exactly. overall intent. So that's very clear on what you're doing. And you can see that even in some of these more basic, more uh, ancient ones, you can even see the intent. And I think that's kind of cool. Um, moving right along. And thank you so much for graciously answering that question for me. My second question is culturally, <laughs> this is probably going to be my favorite <laughs> question uh culturally what group of people do you feel created used effectively the best and most intelligent booby traps um we can go in the same uh order if you want and go chris uh to sarah to me if you want that's fine we can go first. um like you could pick one or two it could be just one no no number no limit but Gotcha. You know, you have to have at least one good one. I have to say, like the Egyptians, Egyptians. Okay. Uh, the way how they set up traps back in the day, when you think ancestry, mm. they don't have the knowledge and technology like we do today. How do they come up with all those traps? That they build in the pyramid. In the intricacies of yes. them. Like these weren't just like a box with a stick in it that they pulled the string out from under. This was like, this is masterwork. Some of yeah. their traps. Yeah. No, like, I agree. Where did they get all that, the idea and the mathematics to do all that stuff? Exactly. And that's a big factor. Geometry even. Yeah. Um, I've seen, I've seen evidence that they were utilizing um, different gems and, and different types of um polished stones to uh reflect sunlight to do laser surgery carterized wounds we're talking in a time where this was not even supposed to be an idea 
Exactly. You know what I mean? So it's like, where did this advancement? I agree. That's a very, very good question. Number one on that. You know, I think we're going to have to pin that, put a pin in that for a later topic. <laughs> the ancient, I think the ancient Egyptians uh, deserved their own show. I <laughs> <agree. general> <laughs> they were some very clever and uh, innovative people, to say the very least. Uh, the way yeah. their structures were built, uh, some of their booby traps, some of their weaponry, and how they used it. It was like, yeah, these guys were uh, on to something that nobody else was on. So we might have to poke around in that later on. Oh, uh, yeah. Good look. Good, good, good choice. Good, very good choice. So the ancient Egyptians for you, huh? Yes. Okay. What do you got for me, Chris? I think uh, I'm going to have to go with the Japanese and Viet Cong. Okay. Uh, reason. Because I got uh, Sarah. Sarah's was more the ingenuity. And at the time that they were doing it is kind of the reason why these things stand out for you. What was it? Basically, the Viet Cong did not have armor to speak of, and they're going up against the advanced, you know, uh, forces of uh, America, and they just got these traps. And the French, too, remember, in the beginning. Oh, yeah, those French, yeah. too. And they built, I remember, I saw the one trap, uh, it was actually a lighter. They couldn't, uh, you couldn't distinguish anything from it, a regular lighter or that lighter. The lighter was had enough explosives to blow the hand off pretty much oh yeah. yeah oh yeah booby trap lighters that's actually uh dipping into um my choices as a matter of fact that that's actually uh, very familiar to some of the things that i i found so that's that's kind of cool all right so the for you the Viet Cong and the japanese correct yeah yeah all right i can live with that um for me and i hate I got to say this. I, I hate to give the Nazis anything. I really oh, do. Yeah. They were. I'm sorry. Nazis. Like, it's really hard. If there's a group of people you hate to give credit to, you know what I mean? The Nazis is like always either number one or two on that list. And yeah, I got to give it to the I got to give it to the Nazis during the World War. I I was blown away by some of the engineering and ingenuity in their booby traps and the simplicity of them um, when you think about them. You know what I mean? When you think of like what, like to yourself, like, I mean, obviously as a soldier, you're not going to be thinking of these things back then. Um, you know, the overall quotients of intelligence and different things and tactics and all these different things are pretty new. So there was a lot of reasons why these people would have fallen victim to some of these more simplistic and easy traps. But when you think about it in a, like, you know, holistic sense, like nowhere was safe around these people. Like mm -hmm. the Germans booby trapped everything. Yeah. Like they, they literally like would go through decimated towns and like wedge grenades indoors. And I mean, some of the scariest stuff that I, okay. One of them, one of the most, and I got to give this uh, booby trap in a general sense. Um, one of the most diabolical, uh, booby traps that they made was a, a priming system uh, that was electrically, um, uh, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, rooted, um, rooted in electricity. So the, the, the priming charge to the explosives were um, electrical in nature. If any kind of electrical uh, surge or or ignition was to go off at, at where the, they had set this trap up, boom, the building would uh, blow up and it would then collapse on whoever was close to it. Oh, geez. So 
that's I mean, and, and that's devastating enough. But what they used for the primer, and it was rigged to be so sensitive that if a soldier peed, urinated mm-hmm. on the wall, the alkaline, I guess the alkaline properties in the urine would be just enough of an electric charge to set the primer off. If you peed on the, listen to what I'm saying here. If you pee peed on the building, it would blow up. Jeez. That is how far the Germans, and, and, and again, simplistic. You would have, and as a, you know, tactician, you would have to think like, as this report comes back, like, yo, the guy peed on the wall and the building blew up. We don't know what the hell is going on around if there was like they were in a distance and and detonated at that time or if there was and then they finally figured out what they were doing because this has happened you know a few times while they were kind of going through these ruins trying to you know find uh allies and and reuse armor and weapons whatever else have you scouting ahead to kind of uh advance and of course i mean nature calls yeah you know, and you got to go, you got to go. I mean, you're just, it's a blown up building. You're not thinking nothing of it. You go to relieve yourself and boom. And that really kind of, that, that topped it for me. It was like, how could you, who sat there and thought of that? I want to meet the guy. I got to talk to the guy who sat there and said, hmm. <laughs> a guy who hates people peeing on buildings. Or something. You know what I mean? There, there's a story. There's a story there. There is yeah, something. There you, Sarah, you summed it up very well for me. There is a story there to be told. I need it. That would teach somebody not yeah. to Real quick. That was a pet pee for real. But um, I'll give it to the Germans on this one. Uh, definitely the most innovative, in my opinion, as far as just simplicity. I mean, pressure uh triggers with um grenades attached to them um the helmet trick the lighter trick all those things i've heard the germans were um had a hand in in creating and i mean you got to think about it uh you're a soldier getting shot at every day and a smoker and you you, you're afraid to even use a lighter that you find because you're afraid it might blow your hand off the psychological damage peeing on a wall i mean think about how afraid as a 20 year old gi you are you know trying to you know, liberate the world and, and you can't urinate on a wall. You can't light a cigarette. You're, <laughs> you're kind of, you know, they're limiting your options here. And that's, that's, I like that, uh, that psychological advantage to the, you know, what they were doing. So I, I give it to the Germans. Um, my third and final question. Um, what was, I guess I got to already answer this one in retrospect, but what is the most, or maybe I didn't, um, what was the most diabolical? And I use that word specifically. What was the most diabolical booby trapped you researched? And it could be from the cultures that we just said, or it could be something completely different. If you want to kind of just, you know, throw it out there, feel free, whatever, whatever is best for you guys. The Japanese actually put a landmine in cabbage. In cabbage. Yep. Like, so you go to pick the cabbage, boom. And boom. Wow, they made <laughs> produce unsafe. Yeah, that's that's pretty diabolical. That is pretty diabolical. All right, okay, so we're starting off good. I like that. What do you got for me, Sarah? Come on, you got to top uh, cabbage bombs, okay? Jeez, that's gonna be your hard. files. We can't we, we can't have no slackers. You gotta you gotta over you gotta jug, get over the uh, cabbage bombs. There, it's got to be something better than that. What about? Well, I've seen it on a TV show, but it's very likely it could have been used. Okay. Um, using your horse to hang somebody. 
Using the what? A horse to hang somebody. Like you, it's your horse. Okay, and you put him on the horse. Lured away as he's being lured away. You're being hanged. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. And you don't even realize it until it happens. Okay. Wow. All right. That's psychological. It is. It is because your horse. You know, in those times, your horse was like. I mean, you, you might have been married, you might have had kids, but your horse was like your, you know, that was your best friend. You know, that it was yeah. a little bit different back then, you know, in those times oh, where yeah. you would use that. So, oh, yeah. Okay. All right. That's, yeah. See, okay. Now I got to go. Great. Thanks, guys, for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Appreciate that. Set me up there. Um, okay. Uh, most diabolical. Hmm. And there's so many. <laughs> there are so, yeah, so many. But, I gotta go with the I gotta go with the old fashioned. I just the guy who created the landmine. Yeah, yeah. Whoever this guy is, is a son of a bitch. And I'm sorry, I don't mean that <laughs> in a disrespectful way. I mean that in the most nicest, uh, complimentary way I could possibly say it. But what kind of person? What kind of mindset do you have? to literally make the ground a person is walking on unsafe to the point where you are literally, I mean, think about it. You walk downstairs, you walk upstairs, go walk over here, you walk to your car, you get walk in a building. Imagine the feeling of being afraid to take a step because it could literally be your last. Yeah. The mental strain and, and shout out to all, any, military personnel or law enforcement or any type of human being that has to endure that kind of strain because I could not personally imagine uh, literally being afraid to take a step because I might explode. You know, I, I couldn't, thankfully I've never been in that position and I can't speak on it from experience, but I can say that's a very, that's something I couldn't imagine because the ground is usually, <laughs> and I'm a guy who's afraid of heights. Uh, I've conquered that fear, of course, but I'm afraid of heights. I don't like certain things. Um, water I can't see through. Um, I have fears, you know, just like anyone has. Mm -hmm. And I know what that feels like. I know what fear feels like. And I know it's not very comfortable. And I know, you know, in that particular set of circumstances, I couldn't imagine not being able to trust the literal next step I'm going to take. Like that's, yeah, that's heavy. So whoever the guy is <laughs> who sat around and said, Hmm, uh, yeah, this will fuck him up, you know, and whoever that guy is, I mean, him need to have a long conversation in a general sense. I'm interested just to find out what was on his mind when he decided to come up with this invention. Like, yeah, you know, and maybe we should do that. Maybe we should find out exactly who came up with, the device, the landmine in a general sense, or maybe try to find some kind of, um, we can try to research that as we're talking and come back with that uh, little tidbit oh, of yeah. information. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was, I was behind a desk when I was in the military, so. <laughs> lucky you. Yeah, no, no, lucky you. No, and, and even then, you know, still, it, the, the fear was there. Even if you were behind a desk, you knew at some point you could be ordered to go somewhere and do oh, some, yeah. and I couldn't imagine even that. Even just like wrapping your mind around that kind of danger, like, hey, at some point I could be somewhere where stepping is hazardous, like walking is hazardous. And that's that's crazy. That's just a lot to think about for anyone, you know, to even consider. So, 
yeah shout out to anyone who's ever even had to in any kind of you know they brave that thought and that thing even happening because it could be a lot on a person's mind even general sense think about it years later i mean anyone who's been in a war and you're just kind of walking through the woods and you think like you know the instincts those instincts kind of like anywhere could be you know you're on a nice hike trying to get some air in west virginia and you you flash back to that time where you were here and you know what i mean i can only imagine what that must feel like so yeah that's that's pretty diabolical that's that's the kind of fear that don't go nowhere yeah so yeah um okay now that we've got our questions out of the way um our giveaway we are actually going to be blessing rachel lighter um, for communicating and uh, interacting on our last Facebook post for the Amalga file. She is going to be receiving the prize from last um, month's show, or I'm sorry, last year's show. So congratulations, Rachel Leiter. Um, please let us know when you get your prize. Thank you so much for um, participating and um, having, you know, something to say about the topic and just being a great group member. We love you and um, appreciate all that you do. Um, shout outs and plugs. We're going to go to Acid Kitty. Congratulations to their almost second year, I believe, second year-ish in business. Um, they've been doing really good over there. The Madam President, Taryn Barber, um, the beauty products, all the things that they do over there. I've gotten plenty of uh, Christmas and uh, different packages, you know, throughout the uh, entirety of them operating. And I have nothing but good things to say, especially their um, shave lotion and um, their shave butter. I am a, a baldy. Everyone knows this. Uh, when you see me <laughs> yep. coming, I am a I am a milk dud with arms and legs, and um, you can see how smooth my head is most of the time. And I've got to shout out Acid Kitty Beauty Products for that. Thank you very much um, for creating that shave butter. It does well, wonders. I'll see your reflection shining right back. I'm up. telling you, and the stuff, and it's it, it's really is. And I've tried different ones, and it's like for me, it's I don't like to moisturize after I. Uh, shave i don't want to have my skin too i work on an open dock you know what i mean so it's like yeah. i don't i don't need my skin too soft i need it to be nice and tight and uh uh this gives me that added bonus of being able to shave and still you know there's some moisture you know it's, it's not as like my skin's dry but i don't have to like over moisturize or do anything and i like that one product to kind of take care of everything and and there's a lot of stuff like that so check them out acid kitty um, there'll be links for you guys if you need them. Also, you can always go to Facebook and um, they have a web uh, page of their own. So please feel free. Chrome Comics. Ugh, this guy, Scott Cromer, the stuff he's done this year, not only for the Amalga Auction, which is another thing I'd like to talk about right after this. A uh, good segue into it. But um, uh, Scott Cromer uh, donated last year uh, a... All right. Now, everybody knows that Todd McFarlane's been doing the McFarlane toys, whatever else have you. Um, about a year and a half, two years ago, he did a Kickstarter to redo his original Spawn toys. I remember um, that. Yeah. Yes. And these are like there was only like 17,000 of them uh, sold throughout the world. And uh, I think there were like uh, $150 a piece per action figure. It was something crazy. I think if you paid like 250 bucks, you got the set of three. Well, Scott Cromer jumps in on this and he gets them and he donates the modern spawn to the Amalgam auction. Damn. Just gives it away. Like here, here guys, we're going to throw this into the auction this year. Boom. You know, you know, let's see what it does. And uh, it spawned the entire auction for this year. And there's so many dope uh, products that go along with it. But um, I wanted to give him a specific shout out for that and for his participation um, in the auction in a general sense, which led subsequently to him coming up with the idea of us, you know, braving the four state Comic-Con this year. 
which we are going to be doing. Those not so super dudes, Amalgamania, Chrome Comics, and Acid Kitty will be in the building in the four state Comic-Con, Hagerstown, Maryland, at the community college. Please, if you are local, be there. We are going to have face painting, um, raffles. The Amalga auction is going to be held there. Giveaways. Uh, there's going to be um, items for sold, a price match on all action figures and um, uh, raw comics. It's it's going to be nuts. If you are into this kind of stuff, if you like nerd culture and you want to get some goodies and some uh, great collectibles, you're definitely going to want to stop by the Amalgamania uh, Not So Super Dudes booth at the Four State Comic Con. Check it out. Um, Ama- uh, I'm sorry, Animania Underground, of course. Shout out to Daniel Roberson. Um, Sierra Parks, all of our uh, anime lovers over there. We love you guys and you guys do awesome work. Thank you so much for being a part of the family. Throwdown Thursday, as always, um, some of our favorite New Englanders uh, right alongside our Retro Redactor guys. Uh, some of our favorite people. Thank you so much for everything you guys do and being a part of this um, you know, online family. Um, we're going to take a commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to open up the show topic. We're going to talk about the murder castle. We're going to talk about H.H. Holmes. Uh, Mr. Mudget, as he's better known by, I guess, by nobody. (laughs) And um, we're going to talk about some facts, some things that happened. We're going to get a little more into booby traps, their uh, history, um, some of the psychological use of them, and um, some more interesting uh, tidbits. So please stay tuned. We're going to pay some bills, and we will be right back. Greetings. We are the Retro Reductopus Cephala Podcast, a bi-weekly show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. He's right. We wax philosophic about lots of geeky crap like old video games and movies, toys, cartoons. I don't know. Help me out here. Music. Pants. Quoting video games that don't have dialogues. Shabibers. Tasty news. Unnecessarily long Japanese onomatopoeia. Butt breathers. Uncomfortable nature facts. Or how to install a samoplange. And unlike all those other podcasts, we at Retroidoctopus have an exciting rotating host schedule. Do we? We sure do. So, if you didn't like the guy flapping his gums this week, like me, worry not, gentle listener. Next week, we'll have a whole new host. Of problems. Hey, they might still suck, but they'll suck differently. And you know what's really cool? Retroidoctopus is part of the Dorkening and Inebriar podcast networks with new episodes every technical Tuesday. Which is like every other Tuesday. We named it. Anyways, you can listen to us at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or any podcast player cool enough to carry the only show that celebrates all things that make growing up awesome. Alright, so we are back from commercial break. Paying the bills. Shout out to Amalgamation. Um... Definitely keeps the lights on, keeps us doing these things we like to do, and keeps us mobile and active. Definitely the uh, hard hardest working network in podcasting. Thank you guys so much for everything you do. Um, okay, so we're gonna open up the show topic a little bit and do a little bit of a rundown on Murder Castle. All right, we got the new um, the new the new guys in the building, the um, new co-hosts. Um, they've researched ready and got some. Uh, Tidbits of info for us on the topic, please, if you don't mind. Do you want to go first? You can go first. Okay, so the Myrtle Castle has so many rumors going around it. Um, We have done extensive research and found a lot of the rumors to be false. I mean, not really. 
good bit of the rumors. Over-exaggerated, yes. I want to say. Yes. Um, the house, H.H. Holmes. Hotel. Oh. It's a hotel. It's now currently a hotel, but it was a house. No, it's now currently a well, post you office. Like to start? Okay. <laughs> you can start. <laughs> um, it's a hotel. Okay. So the over exaggeration that um, came with it is that uh, everybody thinks that the hotel was actually had like uh, murder racks, acid baths, a gas chamber, that sort of thing. But in the original, I tried to look up the deeds. Of course, there's nothing there. He didn't keep any. There was a fire at the uh, third floor and the bottom floor was there for 40 years until the Englewood um, post office came in in the 1940s and made a post office out of it, which is a crappy post office, but anyway. <laughs> Jab to the, the United States Postal Service. <laughs> um, but yeah, everybody's saying it's a, a maze and he he, he killed hundreds of people but it's just that turned out to be really false he was a pretty much a charlatan a pathological liar he had like i think it was five wives two or three at the same time that sort of thing so yeah he okay. he, he killed like two people at the hotel that they think is notable all right, so mostly everybody else he killed that you're saying was away from the hotel where he only really killed two people there. Yes. Which, wow. You would think, oh, and it was one guy I remember he hit with a chair or something. <laughs> I don't know if that was one of the guys and then another guy he kind of crushed the guy's skull. And I guess the way that they, they, they publicized it was like, okay, well, they made it seem like as if he was killing these people. I think. In the hotel. I think the more the publicizing. Okay, so he went to jail. He got baptized in jail. <laughs> he researched, uh, I think it was Catholicism, and uh, he got paid like a handsome amount for a autobiography, basically of himself. And of course, he's a pathological liar, so he puts stuff in there, and people are going to eat it up. So I think. Some of the outlandish stuff comes from him and his book and his lying and stuff. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, and 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 we kind of uh, during our um, kind of pre-show uh, chat, we were kind of nibbling on this a little bit. Just the, you know, when these guys get caught and it's over for them. And they're faced with the consequences and, um, you know, allowing the world to understand the motivations behind some of the things that they did. I, I get this real empty attempt at like overcompensation by a lot of them. Um, you know, uh, you know, let me let me make myself seem like I was a lot worse than I was. Let me, you know, do everything I can to kind of scare and make these people more afraid of you know, their fellow man than they were once they found out the things that I did. Like, there's a lot of 
psychological stuff going on there. Like when these guys are at that point where they're either caught or they're uh, talking about some of the reasons why they've done what they've did. And you got to think about that, you know, as you're uh, looking into these things or seeing these things, watching the trials, researching them, whatever else have you. Um, there's something to that, you know, and I feel like there was a lot of that here. I feel like this guy, his whole story, like his whole, <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong. I'm, I am not by any means trying to belittle this man's pain or the things that he went through, because obviously his life was hard for him from whatever perspective that he had. And, you know, the, uh, the, leaving the first wife and, um, you know, faking his death and, uh, this insurance, uh, scam. He was like the first. He's like the first insurance scammer like there ever was. This dude was like, he was like your, he was like your white collar criminal and kind of just gradually kind of crossed over into this, you know, business of selling cadavers to, you know, medical yeah, yeah. schools and, and to doctors and, and to be dissected or whatever else have you. And it's like, all right, like when you think about it, I don't see this, I don't see this diabolical Hannibal Lecter-esque character like here. I don't, that's not what I see here. I see some guy uh, kind of down on his luck, uh, you know, blurred some lines, fractured some rules, got himself in some really messed up, painted up corners. And then kind of like from there, gradually turned into this monster who would kill people. And I, I think, I think that initial breaking the law kind of was a gateway drug for him to kind of graduate into doing these things. I just didn't see this malicious, vicious killer, you know, when I'm, when I'm, as I'm researching this guy, I just see this kind of like broken dude. Who like him As a killer, I viewed him as a person that had some seriously, seriously messed up mind. Oh, absolutely. Killer. Like there had to been something medically wrong with him for him to start little, and then gradually, like, well, he did put a baby underneath his bed. So, I mean, there's that. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and those are, and see, that's what I mean. Like the, you can see kind of the exaggeration and the graduation of like the heinous acts. Like at first it was just more like, I'm going to fudge some paperwork and lie about where this body came from. And then it kind of went to, okay, I'm going to actually kill a guy to, you know, it's just what else can I do? Yeah. It seems like it just, <laughs> it seems like a toddler, like, you know, all right, I know where the cookie jar is. I know I can, I know I can move a chair up to the counter without everyone noticing. I know yeah. I can get on the chair without, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, know I can actually reach up and get, you know, until they're actually in the cookie jar. And it's like, that's kind of the best analogy of what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to translate here is like, I didn't see like, you know, with certain people like, um, you know, Tim McVeigh and, and uh, Charles Manson. And, you know, there's certain people where it's like, all right, <laughs> you can, <laughs> you can kind of just from the beginning see, yeah, there was, yeah, this guy just wanted to hurt and kill people. Like that was, that was this guy's goal. He was just there to do this thing. Um, with this guy, I didn't get that. I get yeah, like, it was just yeah. more like, what, what else can I get away with? Yeah. What else can I do? Was like this guy's personality and eventually it got him caught. I think it was uh, Georgina, I think his latest wife during the trial. She said that uh, she never saw, she knew he was a, um, you know, a womanizer and stuff, but killing people, she never thought he would kill people. 
one of the wives knew about the selling the bodies. Though. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was down. She was like, she was completely down. Like, all right, let's get this money. You know, and they were kind of, you know, I'll watch your back. You watch my back. And you got to think about that, too. Like, how many other serial killers have there been that have had spouses who were, like, in on the fuckery? Like, really, like, down on what was happening? Like, you got to think about that. Like, like how how, going how far back do these guys have these mates? And I, I think that's an interesting question to put a pin in as well. Just to kind of, like, because I'm sure that these people didn't get mentioned. I'm sure that these men went out of their way to protect these people. But it would be it would be interesting to know if there was anyone else out there kind of in that same kind of league with these people and helping them, because you can't do all of this alone. He did have that henchman kind of guy who was just like, you know, the homie just kind of hung out with him and yeah. <laughs> helped to dispose of him. I forgot the guy's name, but he was like, you know, he was. The, and you think about it like what like what the way like, how charming, how charismatic. Yeah. How intelligent does a person have to be to kind of like, yo, you want to help me kind of sell these cadavers to medical science on the on the illegal tip? Like, what do you how do you how do you start that conversation with somebody like, you know, you just kind of hanging out, eating the sandwich. And you're like, yo, by the way, you want to help me move these dead bodies. <laughs> you know, we get this money. You know, I, don't, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, like, it takes a special kind of person for you to feel like you can ask them. There might have been a a fourth person or well, a third person involved with it besides the wife because it he put in one of it in his autobiography which loosely I, covers I, uh, that really. he scammed a woman that he promised to marry and he never did i mean he did do that though okay so i don't know if that was just a thing that he did to some females or his mistresses or whatever. Well, yeah, he did it with them. pretty much every single one of them. <laughs> Murder groupies. Oh. Oh, we could just or call them what they are. Somebody that like, was actually in on the loop be like, I'll marry you, but keep all this information hush hush. And I know, I know for a fact that there are some ladies out there that would go for that. Yeah. They would go for it. Like, okay, well, you know, hey, look, I'm going to get the guy I want. Um, I might have to help sell a few dead bodies, but hey, you know, whatever. what's really really messed up is uh he told the wife of ben he's like yeah you you can come with me i'll show you your husband but the kids i you know don't really bring them it's you know it's not good for them to see so he took the children through like cincinnati seattle like four or five different states and then, like the fifth state, he killed them, and then killed the wife or something like that. Right, and then, and then it was like there was a lot of intricate, like if you think about the insurance side of it, where he was like, "All right, well, I need a family of three. Like, he had to really plan this stuff out. Yeah, and like really, like down to the detail, get it right, and then forging paperwork and you know working with the banks, and you got to have this, you got to grease this guy's elbow over here so he don't say nothing. You got to give this guy a couple of hours so he don't say nothing. Like, I think it was a lot more than three people. I think it was I think it was a lucrative network where uh, medical science was benefiting. These individuals getting this money were benefiting. And, you know, the crazy guy with the murder fantasy was benefiting. You know, he get to be around dead bodies all day. He gets to create some sometimes. And it's like it's this it's this kind of network. And you got to think about it like this can't be the only instance of this happening in this country. I mean, with it being so big and and with so many metropolises and so many different, you know, closed doors and hidden corners and sub-basements and level twos and things of that nature, like, you just think about the, 
the overall sense of could this be something that you know was going on in another place kind of with different goals and and you know and it just kind of it, it makes the topic that much more broad you know what i mean like i'm i'm realizing this as i'm researching like you know this could like this could have been going on in iowa this could have been going on in new york like no one would have known you know what i mean like this was happening if everybody kept their mouth shut you know the only thing that really tripped this guy up <laughs> really was the fact that you know he started getting sloppy and kind of like doing the same thing over and over again had he would have been more meticulous like he could have done this into retirement yeah yeah you know and and you got to think about that like and i don't know it gives me it gives me a lot of suspicions about a lot of things and ron i'm looking at you no but um in all seriousness i like the fact that there's a lot of different tentacles as far as which way this story can go um okay so we got this guy caught he's these memoirs are discovered i mean some guy buys some records somewhere and like he just you know he's expecting to listen to some music and boom you know here's the confession of the world's first serial killer <laughs> makes you want to buy music more don't it don't it make you want to Make sure to get the next record you can get your hands on. No, but um, that vinyl boy, I'm telling you, as for it to be such a simple um, way to record sound, yeah, it, it was intricate in its own way. It really uh, was. Like that's a that's a great way to kind of, at the time where you don't really have a lot of options, um, to record your legacy and then kind of hide it. And, you know, for it to pop up the way that it did later on, like this guy's memoirs, like, he was just kind of shopping for music. And then all of a sudden he's like, wait a minute, I got this guy confessing to murder. Well, that the, also knowing, well, not knowing, but, you know, ages, homes, mudgets, um, you know, he's a pathological liar. He probably spun the story on the on the vinyls. Most likely, yeah, most likely. But I, I, again, the uh, the overall aesthetic of hey, you know, this oh, is no, a yeah. very you know elegant way for me to kind of transcribe whatever you know, even if they were just lies. Like it was, it's still kind of you know with the acts that he did. You got to think like this guy really spent some time, like thinking this through. Like he really kind of like okay, this is how I'm going to do this. And it just gives you kind of an insight on who we're dealing with. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I like I like that uh that 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 you know level of intelligence. That okay, well you know let me you know just in case I get caught or whatever. And you got to think like you know if you're that person, if you're H H Holmes committing these crimes, like I guess that is a way that you would think. You would think well you know at some point I'm gonna get caught. So what should I do, you know, in retrospect to this happening? Should I, you know, and his, I guess, idea was, you know, I'll do this. And and it worked out, you know, to at least intrigue some um, true crime buffs and a couple of investigators. I believe the gentleman who has the raw material now is um, some type of investigator in England. And um, he's been spending a lot of time kind of knocking down, you know, the truths and myths behind some of the things that he was saying and um which is good because that gives us that perspective that he was in fact lying about some things and not telling the truth about what he was doing so i like that aspect as well because if it wasn't for these guys kind of going and looking for these records and finding these things out like you know we wouldn't have the accuracy so that's dope um 
outside of that, I believe uh, redirecting back to the fact of booby traps in a general sense and some of the uh, research, and you guys did a great job, by the way, of just kind of going into some of the cultures, some of the different ways that these uh, archaic and different things were used. I feel like we got a lot of good uh, subject matter as far as, um, you know, helping people to think about different ways to kind of compare them throughout the times and, 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 you know, ingenuity and intricacy levels of these devices. Um, I wanted to talk some more about the more modern ones and get into some of these, um, like the Unabomber and um, Ted Kaczynski and these, def these different guys, letter bombs and uh, bombing buildings and these different things. Um, do you think people like H.H. Holmes and, uh, you know, listening to like just how we were able to research the uh, German engineering during the World War. And this is available uh, back in what we used to us dinosaurs used to call the Internet a library. So like if you, you know, went to the library and researched these different topics of German engineering and all these different things, you 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 can start to see how uh, that level of uh, curiosity could create a Tim McVeigh, could create you know, a Ted Kaczynski, you know what I mean? Uh, someone who, and, and I mean, these are guys who are hand making bombs like out of non-detectable wood. And like, I, I mean, just the level, like these people sat in a basement, like crafting these devices and thinking these things through. And like, you take, you think about H.H. H. Holmes and some of the things he did, and you can see the parallels, in my opinion, you can definitely see yeah, yeah. the straight lines of like, where that idea and and do you think in your opinion after you know seeing some of these things do you think that's where some of these guys kind of draw their muse like i don't i don't want to just hurt people and kill people i want to i want to be something you know a little more long lasting a little more long standing i want to you know be this more do you see that the same way i do as far as like just that transparency in between the two the two motivations I mean, you could draw that whether they actually did the research and or were like, oh, well, let me look into the history of psycho killers and see what I can find. Uh, that I don't I don't really know. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Okay. But um, I think uh, maybe troubled childhood really would be more along those lines but they could have gone out and just went to the library and done all that research and stuff and just seen yeah and, and what i mean is yeah. again you're gonna have the troubled mind anyway because any well, any, yeah, yeah, yeah. any any human being unfortunately has yeah. the uh capacity to have these thoughts my thing is for them to be exaggerated into action yeah you know to exercise the mind is one thing but for it to go from this kind of forethought to hey look i'm gonna you know and then deliberately go and seek this stuff out and then, you know, craft these, these, uh, you know, devices of, of destruction and death and stuff. And it's like, yeah, there has to be some kind of, there has to be a catalyst. I don't just see some guy kind of jumping up and, and deciding to do this, you know, after breakfast one morning, like there, there's a catalyst, there's a yeah. overall setup of how this is done. And I think that it starts with looking at those blueprints that were left over. Hey, there is a way to kind of, you know, do this until you get caught. And then, you know, when you do sell your legacy, yeah. it'll become immortal. And it's like, it's a, it's almost like a blueprint. Like that, you, yeah. you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. it was, I was watching this uh, cop show, one of my favorite cop shows of all times called the shield. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good show from back in the day uh, when I was in college. I used to watch it um, religiously every 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 time it came out with a new one. I would watch it. And um, there's this one episode where the detective was talking to this guy who he found out was was a budding serial killer. The kid was only like 16 or 17, but he was a budding serial killer. And he said to him, he said, um, mostly every single serial killer known to man has spent some time in Southern California or a portion of their life in Southern California. Why do you think that is? And he said, everyone comes to LA to get famous. The killer, the serial killer guy says, everyone comes to LA to get famous. And when he said that, okay. it kind of struck me as, and, I, and obviously there are some serial killers who never been to Los Angeles and maybe that is not their reason for doing what they're doing. But what I'm saying is that there are just some, some parallels and some lines that you can draw in between these different characters throughout time where there are a lot of similarities. To where if they're not researching each other and looking up each other and each other's feet, they're definitely drawing from some type of overall aesthetic because it's there's just too many. It's like um, if it walks like a duck, it talks like a duck. To duck. Exactly. Kind of thing. So I just wanted to kind of point that out because I thought that was interesting drawing those lines back to some of the more modern terrorists and uh guys that wanted to scare people and murderers like mass murderers from blowing stuff up and things of that nature. I kind of saw that a lot in H.H. Holmes. Like I didn't see a guy set dead set on, you know, doing all this destruction, but I think it kind of gradually became to that. And I think it kind of exaggerated throughout time as it relates to people. People became more advanced, the need to want to do these things more kind of, you know, evolved as well. And um, now you have these different examples, letter bombs and, you know, blowing up buildings and just cowardly acts that stem from evil, in my opinion. Like, you got to be sitting around, like, not liking people a whole lot to dream something like this up. Or there's got to be some kind of hate or something. And then, you know, the mind goes to these different things. So I, th- I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and if you, unless you guys have anything else um, to add in a general sense to the murder castle, I think we're going to wrap up. Okay. No, yeah, I don't have anything. Okay, cool. Um, our next show, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to have Chris White um, give us the topic and also the location for our next show. So, Chris, what are we going to be doing our next show? Uh, let's... Uh... I'm thinking Harper's Ferry. Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. So we're going to be going on location. Yeah. All right. Chris is going to show us um, a couple of paranormal spots. We're going to be doing some research just in the uh, overall afterlife paranormal kind of uh, genre. So be prepared. And if you uh, have anything you want to add, if you want to drop us an email, questions you might, um, anything in the area that you might want us to check out as well, please let us know. We will definitely... um, take all of those things into consideration and uh, we will see you on the next uh, installment of the Amalga Files.